Amen. Well, good morning. This morning we kick off a seven-week series on our core values. Really tempted like half the pastors in the nation to kick off a series called 2020 Vision. But we'll just go with our core values. But 2020, can you believe it? Make you feel old for a moment. You are now closer to 2050 than you are to 1989. Weird, huh? Y2K was 20 years ago. Think, when was 1999? I think about 10 years ago. No, two decades ago. What were you doing on 1999? I don't even remember what I was doing on 1999. I was probably partying. I was a pagan sophomore in high school. Some of you were bunkered up though, right? Don't lie. Some of you were surrounded by canned beans and candles and guns. When I was growing up, my, uh, my grandpa had this rock house. We would, we would play on it. We were little kids. It was literally rocks. And so you could climb on it really easily. And we weren't ever allowed in. And we never really asked questions. You don't think much about it as you're a little kid. But there were these little peepholes about eye level. And come to find out later, really, I don't think I found out until after he had passed away, he was one of those. He was ready. And so if Y2K happened, the White family was going to be just fine. We were going to go to Papa's house surrounded by ammo and REMs. Well, here we are 20 years later, 2020. And I hope you can look back at the 2010s with a sense of gratitude. This last decade, doubtless, there were losses, there were trials, there were tears, but hopefully you can look back and see growth in grace. You're closer to God now than you were 10 years ago. Is that the case? Can you look back and see how you've grown spiritually? Well, if not, today's a new day. Indeed, a new decade. And so begin to live so that when we have this conversation in 2030, which will be here like that, that you can look back and you can see the progress you've made in Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about our core values as a church and really what they are is just what a mature Christian looks like. So what's true of the church, we want to see true of a mature Christian. Our core values, if you know them in the past, have been four Love Jesus, know truth, serve others, reach people. Those are great. They're actually still going to be. We're going to expand our core values to seven, though. The number of perfection, not that those four were wrong. They just didn't say enough. So we're going to expand them a little bit to seven, and we've got them right here. So this morning, we'll talk about the first one. We worship Jesus in all of life. It's really what we had before we love Jesus. We are ruled by God's word. We are disciples who make disciples. We are in authentic community. We're committed to missional living. We give sacrificially, and we serve the church. And so if you're a guest here looking at churches, let me invite you to come back these next six weeks to hear about the DNA. What we're talking about really is already true of Southside, praise God, and we want to pour gas on the fire. We want to be a church filled with people who worship Jesus in all of life. Worship is so much more than what we do here. But if we were to ask, hey, what is worship? Probably your mind goes first, not only to here, but to a specific part of here probably just to the singing aspect of our corporate worship. But really everything we do here in corporate worship is worship. And then we go out and all of life is to be worship. We have gathered worship and then we have scattered worship because of what Jesus and the Spirit have done. Now, it wasn't always that way. 
Our Bibles in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, worship was a really specific thing. Worship happened in certain places, the temple, tabernacle, at certain times, and you would do certain practices, and you had certain people there. Well, in the New Covenant, worship has been expanded. Here's how Romans 12 puts it. There's a ton of worship words in Romans 12.1. In the Old Covenant, you would go to a place, the temple, and you would present a sacrifice. A dead animal. Here's what Romans 12 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What he means by that is the entire 11 chapters that we've already seen. We're going to jump into chapter 12 probably in March. By the mercies of God, by everything we've been talking about, I appeal to you now to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So now that Jesus has come, we don't go to a temple. This is not a temple. This is just a building. Nothing holy about it. It's not a sanctuary. The only thing holy about this place is you if you have the spirit of God. We, don't no, long, we no longer go to a temple and present a dead animal. Now we present our whole selves, our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. All of life is to be you offering yourselves, whatever you're doing at the time, whether eating or drinking, as worship to the Lord. This word worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. We worship by ascribing worth to someone or to something. That's why we often say that all people are worshipers, because all people ascribe worth to someone or something. It's either Jesus Christ or a functional savior, an idol. And we want to be a people who turn from idols and worship Jesus <clears throat> with everything we are. We want to see Jesus exalted in every area of our lives, in everything we do. The flip side of this is what we're saying is we don't want to be Sunday-only Christians. Abilene has enough of those, right? We want to be people who don't just think about Jesus, you know, one hour here. Lord, may it not be the case. Let me listen, listen to some of these. These are life verses for me. Listen to the universalism of these passages. 2 Corinthians 5.8. Whether we are at home or away, meaning dead or alive, either way, we make it our aim to please him. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We not only want to see Jesus exalted here on Sunday mornings, we do. Wednesday nights, we do. But we want to see him exalted in everything we do. Why? Why do we want to worship Jesus in all of life? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, because Jesus is worth it. That's why he's worth it. Listen to the way Colossians 1 puts it. Verse 15, speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things are for Jesus. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent. That's why. Because he's worth it. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to center our lives on him because he's worth it. We know who he is and we should respond accordingly. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. God become flesh. The only one to ever live a perfect life. The one, the only one who didn't have an ounce of concern for self-promotion. The one who, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he gives it up. He gives it up for us. He gives it up for our salvation. The one who brought life and healing in his ministry. The one whom even the winds and the waves obey. He says, rise and the dead rise. He says, go and the demons flee. He's the last Adam. He's the tabernacle. He's the temple. He's the only place where heaven and earth truly overlap. He's the true priest, the final sacrifice, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our great high priest, the liberating king who brings a new and greater exodus, the spirit anointed suffering servant, the bringer of a new covenant, the day spring, the lily of the valley, the great I am. The one who laid down his life so that we might be forgiven. The one who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one who, though having his heel bruised, crushes the head of the serpents, defeats evil. The one whom death could not hold, though Friday seemed dark, the sun would rise on Sunday. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost, and then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. The one to whom all authority has been given. The one who ascended to the right hand of God, who rules and reigns and intercedes for you, dear child of God. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's worthy. That's why we ought to worship in all of life. Second, because following this King of Kings is the good life. It's what you were made for. It's your purpose. We are designed to follow and make much of Jesus. It's our purpose and it's the only purpose in all of life that actually will lead to contentment and happiness and fulfillment, satisfaction. My favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world's. Augustine says much the same. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And some of you are frustrated, discouraged, discontent. It's because you're living for the wrong things. 
because you're trying to find your identity and your joy in something or someone besides God. You're aiming way too small. You're aiming for yourself and your stuff and your name and your platform and your money and your job. You, 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 and you just weren't made for that. You were made for more, which is why I never get tired of hearing the most successful people in the world express their misery. We see it every week. Superstars reaching their peak and saying, there's got to be more. Robin Williams, Andre Agassi, comedian Jim Carrey said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. But so many people are looking for fame and stuff. Jim Carrey, too, was three, I guess it was 2016, which now is four years ago. He was uh, called forth to the Golden Globe. So they, they introduce him and he comes out in the Golden Globes. Maybe some of you saw this. And he, he kind of is mocking saying, hey, I'm not just Jim Carrey. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And when I go to bed, I don't go to bed as just any old guy. I go to bed as two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey, getting some well-needed shut-eye. And I don't dream just any old dream. I dream of being three-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey, because then that would be enough. I could stop this terrible search for what I know won't ultimately fulfill me, but these are important, these awards. <laughs> and you love his honesty. If you're searching for the wrong things, it'll never be enough. You get it? You need more. Madonna, billboard number two, all-time artist behind the Beatles. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it to discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I some, I've, I've become somebody... I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. Tom Brady, the goats. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't it. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. You go on and on and on and on. We look to the world for that which only God can give, and we settle for so much less. We aim so small again. C.S. Lewis had it right. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We aim too low. The stuff of this world like a mud pie, but life with Christ is a holiday at the sea. As Jesus said to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Or as my man J.C. Ryle put it in the 19th century, you might as well try to make an elephant happy by feeding him with a grain of sand a day as to try to satisfy that heart of yours with rank, riches, learning, idleness, or pleasure. It's not going to happen. 
And Jesus tells that. Listen to our Lord in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Calling to the crowd, to him with his disciples, Jesus says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For, because, here's the reason why you ought to. Because whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Why should you focus your life on Jesus? Because it's the good life. Do you want life? Water that satisfies, living water, the good life? Then make it not about you, Jesus says. He, he says, deny you and go after him. If you try to save your life, you try to make it all about you, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it, you give it away for his sake and for the sake of the gospels, he says you'll save it. Because it profits nothing. If you even gain all the world has, but you forfeit your soul. Third, why should we do this related worship Jesus? Because eternity is long. This life is short. James says it's just a mist. Just a mist that appears for a little while. Even if you get 90 years, it goes by so fast. And what is 90 years compared to eternity? Make this life count. Make this life count for what ultimately matters. Make this life count for what will bear fruit 10,000 years from now. This life should be viewed largely as preparation for the life to come. So that's why we ought to. Well, how? How should we worship Jesus in all of life? I want us to look at two ways from the Apostle Paul. We're talking about being consumed with Jesus, being consumed with seeing him exalted, seeing Christ honored. And so Paul's a good person to look to. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And so let's look at some ways we can learn from him in Philippians chapter 1. If you're using our pew Bibles, it's page 921. Philippians chapter 1, let's start at verse 20. Philippians 1, verse 20. The Spirit through the Apostle Paul, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, here it is, here's our aim, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For... To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your accounts. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. 
So our aim here, what we're talking about this morning is a church and as individuals, we want to see Christ honored right there in verse 20. All the time, with boldness, not being ashamed, we want to see Christ honored, Christ exalted, Christ magnified, Christ glorified, Christ lifted high, Christ shown to be our treasure. Our aim is to worship Jesus in all of life, but how? He tells us two ways in these verses. First, through death. How? Cherish him so much that death is gain. Look again at verse 20. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23 is the reason. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. That word's often used of die. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He adds words upon words here in the original. I like to translate it. That's much more better. He wants Christ to be highly honored, whether by life or by death, whether he lives or dies. Either way, he wants Jesus to be glorified. It's what he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, whether at home or away, our aim is to please him. And so he says, Jesus is honored in death when we see death as gain. Why would we see death as gain? It's right there in verse 23, there at the end, for that is far better. Why would we see death as gain? Because it means we get to be with Jesus, which is far better. Death is better because we're with him. If you love him, you want to be with him. Death brings us closer to him. Doesn't it honor someone when you want to be with them? I'll often tell Alicia, I'm so glad to come home to her. So glad to get to do life with her. And I come in and I tell her how glad I am to come in and be greeted by her. I push the kids out of the way and go straight to her. And I want to be with her. And that honors her, right? It's honoring to someone we want to be with them. Same with Jesus. He's not worshipped in our lives if we don't care about being with him. It's far better to be with him. I wonder, do you believe that? Do you cherish him so much that you view death as gain? See, Christians look at death in an entirely different way than non-Christians. Thomas Boston said, all men must die, but as men's lives are very different, so their account in death is also. To an ungodly man, death is loss, the greatest loss. But to a believer, it's gain, the greatest gain. Death is gain because we get to be with our king. And maybe you say, you know what, pastor, I'm just going to be real. I'm not there. I'm trying to evade death. I don't even want to talk about death. I'm trying to remove any appearance of age. How can I get there? Well, surprise, surprise, nothing revolutionary. Prayer, the word, and the church. The historic means of grace that God has given us to grow. So first pray. All seven of these core values must be undergirded and fueled by prayer. And so maybe you just begin with confession. You confess to God, God, I confess. I don't want to be with you enough because I don't view death as gain. I'm scared of it. 
I don't love you enough. I confess, God, I don't. I don't view death as gain. Would you help me? Would you draw near? Would you change my heart? Would you change my affections? Would you help me to repent of sin? Would you help me to see the dreadfulness of my sin and the glory of Christ? Just pray and confess it and ask for help. The strength to follow his commands is not found in us. That's why Augustine prayed all those years ago in the fourth century. He got him in trouble. He prayed, Lord, command what thou wilt, but grant what thou commandest. What he prays is, God, you can command whatever you want to command, but I can't get there. You've got to give me what you command. Lord, command what you will, but give what you command. God, give me the ability to do what you want. So start there. Ask him, Lord, give what you ask. Pray scripture. Pray this very verse we're in. In fact, pray, look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Pray this. In fact, let's, let me show you what I mean. Let's just pray it together right now. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, there's that word gain again. Whatever gain I had before, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. God, would you help me to see everything I have, everything I've gained, everything in this world, would you help me to see it as loss for the sake of you? I'm not there, I confess it. God, would you help me, verse 8, to count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? Would my relationship with him surpass everything? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Maybe I won't have to do that, Lord, but if that day comes, would you loosen my hand around the things of this world and let me be willing to suffer loss for everything and even count them as rubbish, as garbage, as trash, if I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is found through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's the goal, God. May this be the goal of the gospel, verse 10, that I may know you, that I may know you in the power of your resurrection, that I may share his sufferings, that I may become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Begin with prayer. Go to the word. Get to know him. Read the gospels. 2 Corinthians 3 tells us that we become like him, Jesus, by beholding him. And in the context, it's actually talking about the Old Testament. We become like Jesus by beholding him in the scriptures. It says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So go to the word, be in the word, jump in F260. It's in the bulletin every week. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen to the words of John Owen. He says, only the sight of his glory. And we see his glory in the scriptures in context. Only the sight of his glory and nothing else will truly satisfy God's people. The hearts of believers are like a magnetized needle which cannot rest until it's pointing north. So also a believer magnetized by the love of Christ will always be restless until he or she comes to Christ and beholds his glory. So look to the Lord. Prayerfully look to the Lord. As we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So first pray, second go to the word, third, church, get plugged in. 
Surround yourselves with like-minded believers, not church as social club, but church as people committed to the same cause, lifting high the name of Jesus in all of life. We worship Jesus in death by seeing death as gain because it means we get to be with him. Second way from this passage, Philippians 1, second way we can learn from Paul to worship Jesus in all of life. First, cherish him so much that death is gained. Second, commit your life to him so that to live is Christ. Begin at verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, magnified, exalted, worshiped, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Christ is honored in our death when we view it as gain. Christ is honored in our lives when for us to live is Christ. When life is Christ, when he is our everything. When he's our North Star, when he's our Lord, in other words, we exist for him. Again, it's our purpose. Whatever we do in word or deed, we do everything in the name of King Jesus to live as Christ. But that's not all to live as Christ means. So Jesus is worshipped in death when death is gained. Jesus is worshipped in life when life is Christ. But notice how Paul here describes that ongoing life. What does it mean to live as Christ? What does that mean? Notice how Paul describes it here in this context. Verse 22. Got death down. What about life? What does life look like? Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. There it is. Christ is worshiped in our life when we see our life as a way to do fruitful labor. Work that lasts. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, right after the long chapter on the resurrection. What's the conclusion? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul would rather be with Jesus. He tells us that. It's much more better. He'd rather be done with this world, take this world and give me Jesus. But Paul's not just concerned with himself. He says it's more necessary on your account that I stay. To live is Christ. I'm not worried about my, my life, my agenda. Don't regard my life as precious to myself. Paul's concerned about others. I've been crucified with Christ. I, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. So Paul's concerned about others. Paul's concerned about the church. He's concerned about other believers. To remain is more necessary on your account. And so while he remains, his main goal is their spiritual growth, their progress, and their joy in the faith. And so what does it look like? What does live as Christ? What does that mean? It means helping other Christians grow spiritually. The vertical is tied to the horizontal. To worship Jesus is to serve his body. The head and the body are connected. 
To worship Jesus is to serve the church in this verse. To worship Jesus is to be concerned for the progress and joy of fellow believers. So how can you worship Jesus in all of life? Well, be concerned with the spiritual progress of the members of Southside Baptist Church. That's really one of the key marks of spiritual maturity is when you desire to see others grow in Christ. Because you have to be fairly spiritually mature yourself, walking with the Lord yourself, for then you to desire other people to grow as well. And then when you find your ultimate joy in seeing others grow spiritually, it's a mark of maturity. Because it's really just a desire to see Christ honored, right? You want to see other people grow spiritually because you know that Christ will be honored when they grow spiritually. The more faithful his followers are, the more glory he gets. And the more joy his people gets. That's why he says that. Your progress and joy in the faith. I love that. I love that he didn't say, I'm going to remain with you for your dutiful faith. There's duty involved, but there's much more than that. There is progress and there is joy. The goal of ministering to one another is joy in the faith. And what a calling God has given every Christian. We're tasked with helping each other turn our backs on mud pies in a slum that we might go to a holiday at the sea. We're tasked with showing each other and reminding each other how to turn from broken cisterns that hold no water to the fountain of living waters from which we will thirst no more. And I love that he put this word progress here. Your joy and your progress in the faith. Spiritual growth is a journey. Sanctification is progressive, often two steps forward and one step back, right? We get converted and we think that here we go. All right, I'm a Christian. Up and to the right. It's really not that way though, is it? It's, you know, it's, 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 it's rocky, isn't it? But over the years, there is progress. Slow, painstakingly slow at times. But to be a believer is to make progress in the faith. And to be a believer who wants to see Jesus exalted is to help others make progress in their faith. We stumble in many ways. It's a long obedience in the same direction, a lifelong process of increasingly submitting every area of our lives to the Lordship of King Jesus. And in his grace, he continues through the word by the spirit to show us areas of our hearts that we have not yet let go of. Seeking to love him so much that death is gain and life is Christ. Which looks like on the ground spending and being spent on helping one another follow Jesus. Southside, I am so encouraged by what I'm seeing among you. God's at work. Let's resolve all the more to become a church that worships Jesus in all of life. Why? Because he's worthy. Because the way of Jesus is the good life. Because eternity is long so let's deepen our love for Jesus so much that we view death as game because it means being with him. And in the meantime, let's center our lives on Christ, which looks like laboring fruitfully for one another's joy and progress in the faith.